Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday, November the 22nd, 2022. Two days to Thanksgiving for those people looking forward to that particular American holiday. Um, and for others, um, it's three months, or it's around three months, to the Oscars. Uh, and film lovers like myself are turning our attention to uh, who's going to win next year's Oscars. Um, Lots of headlines already about who is in, who is out. Uh, on Sunday, I saw Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That's certainly going to be in the mix. And then uh, tomorrow, I'm going to see uh, Spielberg's coming-of-age drama film, The Fablemans. Uh, um, Jude Hirsch is already being promoted for his 10-minute. I haven't seen it yet, but he's supposed to be really good for his 10-minute cameo in The Fablemans. But the really interesting question, I guess, about next year's Oscars is, uh, are we going to, and they're the 95th Academy Awards, are we ever going to uh, recover from the 94th Awards from last year with the famous Will Smith, Chris Rock slapping incident? Everyone's heard of that one. Some people suggest it undermined the, uh, the Oscars for good. Um, my guest today on the show, Bruce Davis, is one of the world's leading authorities on the Oscars and on the Academy, and he has a new book out, The Academy and the Ward, uh, The Coming of Age of Oscar and the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Bruce is joining us, appropriately enough, from Oscar City, uh, Los Angeles. Bruce, welcome. Thank you very much. So, Bruce, can the Oscars recover, or is there anything actually to recover from for you as this scholar of the Oscars? Was the 94th Oscar Awards, were they a particular farce or, or pretty much par for the course when, it, when we account for all the dramas, the ups and downs, the peculiarities of the Oscar ceremony? I don't want to be cynical, but um, a, a, a near fist fight on stage is probably better for ratings this year than uh, a calmer ending. Uh, people are hoping there'll be some sort of untoward activity uh, again this year. But um, I, I, I think uh, while that's certainly going to be mentioned right up until the night of the broadcast, I, I don't think people are obsessing about that either, either here in, uh, in Los Angeles or around the country. It was an odd thing, one of the many odd things that has happened on Oscar nights over the years. But um, I, I, I don't think it's going to really affect the, uh, the viewership for the show uh, as much as something like, uh, have we got a lot of movies that people care about this year that are well done, that, uh, that a wide public um, took the time to go and see, and that filmmakers admired as well. Has it been a good year, do you think, Bruce, for films, 2022? First of all, you, you mentioned two movies on your list, and I realized I hadn't seen either one of those yet. Uh, so I have some catching up to do. But, of course, I'm, I'm reading about what opens and what makes a stir at the, uh, at the various festivals. Um, and I think, it, I think uh, there's general agreement that it is going to be a year uh, with a slate of movies that are both very well made 
uh, and popular and uh, are likely to receive Academy attention. Well, we always hear it's a vintage year and we'll see. Uh, the, the vintage will be determined by the tasting. Um, what's the relationship, Bruce, you're a historian of the Oscars, between the health of the movie business and the health of the Oscars? Are they intimately bound up together or could is it conceivable that the movie business can be in a state of crisis and the Oscars do quite well and vice versa? Well, it depends, I guess, on the nature of the crisis. Um, I, I think I think we got a, uh, a frightening uh, potential view of the future last year during the COVID uh, problems, so two years really. Um, people were kind of uh, wary about going into a crowd of other people and watching a uh, watching a movie. So um, I, I think we're shaking that off. We as a movie going culture. And um, so that's a good sign. Um, yeah, we, 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 need, we need both things. Um, there was a time when uh, you, could, you could count on an audience of 40 million viewers for the Academy Awards year in and year out, sometimes more if there was a, a, a particularly spectacular film uh, that people had, uh, had been uh, talking up. Um, but uh, uh, that started slipping down in the last few years, and uh, it seems unlikely that we're ever likely to have ratings like that again. But um, I, I suspect that um, for the near future, the Oscars will continue to be uh, an object of uh, affection for, for the wide public. I want to talk in more detail about the history of the Oscars uh, later in our conversation, but before... We get to that. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Bruce. Uh, why and how have you written this book? Well, um, I don't read. I, I haven't written a book before. Um, I spent a lot of time at the academy, and I was getting ready to retire. And I thought, well, when you say you spent a lot of time, how much time, and what exactly were you doing at the academy? Well, eventually, I was the executive director. Um, that's the person who's the, uh, the paid head of the paid staff, as distinct from the president of the academy, who is sort of the, the head of the membership. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was making sure things went smoothly, not just during the Oscars, but all the other kinds of projects at the academy. Uh, at the academy so, so just, uh, and, and please excuse the dimness of this question. Um, what's the relationship between the Academy Awards and the Academy of Motion Picture and Sciences? You were at the Academy of Motion Picture and Sciences, right? Right. But, but that and the is awards the award are the award of the uh, of that, that organization. That organization. Yeah, it's it's made up of of um, uh, the the. Uh, Contributors to the art form who have made a, um, a strong impression uh, on the rest of the members, and it's by invitation. If the art directors think you've done a particularly impressive job uh, with your art direction or production design, as it's more likely to be called these days, uh, they will spot you and say, hey, we ought to bring her aboard, or we ought to bring that writer over there aboard. Uh, he's doing great work. So it's sort of an honor society for the film industry. 
and um, it used to be quite small when I was there, uh, around 5,000 members worldwide. Um, in the 10 years, 11 years since I've been gone, uh, it has almost doubled in size. And um, so uh, things have changed slightly, but they're still looking for uh, excellent. And, and is it financed by the studios or by donations from the members itself? Well, you put your finger on a, on a crucial uh, question for the book, um, which I hadn't really quite understood before I started researching this. I, in all, in all, all my life, and, and certainly for the time when I was there as, as head of the staff, um, the academy was pretty flush financially. I used to feel uh, embarrassed when I was uh, talking to heads of other nonprofit organizations, schools, hospitals, any kinds of uh, charitable sort of groups because none of them seem to have been wise enough to arrange for one night a year when enormous amounts of money came rolling in uh, that would fund all kinds of other good works for the, for the ensuing year. We had that, most nonprofits are not fortunate enough to have that. But what I found out was we hadn't always had that. And of course I knew the, uh, the awards, the ceremonies hadn't been televised from the very beginning but I hadn't thought about what that meant in terms of the financial health of the organization. And um, that was a huge problem. The, the Academy from the very beginning, it was founded in 1927. Um, and then the, uh, the, the pressure boom slammed down uh, almost immediately. And they had no real source of income except for dues. And even, even people who worked, uh, successfully in Hollywood were having trouble coming up with dues money um, in the um, in the 30s. So that was a problem. And uh, there was no uh, there was no big one night a year when um, when the river flooded and the crops were uh, fertilized. So um, it, it, it was a real problem. And much of what the Academy struggled with for its first several decades was um, finding finding funding for the things they wanted to do. And so you're right, they did have to go to the, produce, the producers organization, which turned out not to be very um, helpful. They, for, uh, this, was, this was an event that was giving it enormous amounts of great publicity every year and sending people into the theaters, you would have thought that the producers would have been uh, more willing to support the, uh, the project economically, but uh, throughout that whole period uh, in the 30s and, and well into the 40s, they were they were real sniffy about being asked for uh, funding, and and several years refused it. So the the first uh, Academy Awards were held in 1929 at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, one of the iconic buildings, not just in Los Angeles but in America. In your mind, when were the glory years, um, uh, Bruce? Was, was there a period we all tend to assume it was the 40s and 50s, the glory years of Hollywood? Is that correct? Well, I should make it clear that I am really old, but I wasn't there at that point. Right, um, but you've written this book, so you, you know as much about the history, and it's a detailed book. You know as much about the history of the Academy and the award as anyone. There was... There, you could argue 
you could argue that um, maybe a little later into the into the 50s, once it really becomes the television show, uh, then everybody um, knows what the Oscars are. Everybody knows who the nominees are, and um, anybody anybody working in film, and I'm talking about actors now, and anybody get, who got invited to participate in the show would would say yes. Maybe one or two exceptions here and there, but not not many. It was it was something you did if you were if you were serious about the uh, the film business. And you asked to participate, um, and and so yeah, those, the lineups, uh, just the presenters, not to mention nominees on in, in that '50s and '60s era, are just uh, quite quite striking. And um, it, it's not surprising that the uh, that the television audiences of those days were. Uh, were what was the first uh, Oscar you you personally attended? That I attended. Uh, that's an answer I ought to have on the top of my head. It was it was in '82, uh, actually. Yeah. So, um, if there was one year, one ceremony that you could have physically attended, which one would it be? Is there a particular year that you think was just so memorable oh, that you'd love to have been there? Well, uh, there were there were a couple. I, I think um, a decade earlier, '72, the, the year that Chaplin came back to receive an honorary award, uh, that was that was quite quite dramatic. I mean, he had he had been sort of banished from from the from the community for for years uh, because of his political views in the in the '50s and and earlier. And uh, for him to come back and actually be there on the stage receiving uh, a, um, an Oscar for his entire career's worth of work, uh, that people who were there uh, talked about that for a long time afterwards. It's interesting you mentioned the 50s and the politics of the 50s. There's a new biopic about Joe McCarthy, of course, the notorious... Uh, uh, Red Scare Man, uh, McCarthy, who, 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 who inspired the phrase McCarthyism. To what extent was that period a really restrictive, depressing, dark world oh, in the history of the Oscars during McCarthyism? It was a terrible time. Um, I, I think um, for, for every, because even if you hadn't been in any, um, uh, political organizations that uh, some people might disapprove of, certainly that Mr. McCarthy would disapprove of. Uh, you were always uh, in danger of um, having been to a party with some people who had once belonged to such an organization. Everybody was very, very worried about being blindsided and having their careers wrecked. And it was a problem for the Academy, of course. Do you... Um, uh, do you accept uh, foreign language film entries from from uh, countries that have a, a socialistic film industry? Do you uh, do you nominate people who have been blacklisted? Uh, they made the picture, but uh, is the Academy really going to endorse the work of someone who who uh, is in an unfashionable uh, position politically? So. Uh, it was it, it kept everybody bobbing and weaving for uh, uh, 
five, six years. And uh, then it finally died down just as people got tired of Mr. McCarthy being on television every day. Uh, he wasn't all that entertaining. and uh, He certainly wouldn't have got into any movies. We did a show with uh, John Mulholland, who has a new documentary out inside High Noon. Uh, it's a film about a film, a film about the importance of High Noon and the commitment to fighting for justice. Um, Mulholland was quite critical of the Academy, I think, for its inability to stand up for McCarthy. Would you agree that, that the Academy didn't come out of the McCarthy period smelling of roses? There were a few people in the industry who came out of the period smelling of roses. Um, but the Academy actually, I was, I, that was my view too. Your, what, the view you just articulated was pretty much what I was assuming I would find when I went poking around more directly in those records. And actually, the Academy certainly was uh, badly scuffed up about being pushed into taking kind of absurd positions. Yes, this person did write that movie, uh, and we did elect that movie as one of the uh, five best jobs of screenwriting. But for some reason, this man is not going to show up in the nominees list. And um, so you don't you don't want to get uh, in, into situations like that uh, any more often than you have to. I was surprised the, the Academy only really uh, instituted a, a loyalty oath uh, right at the end of the period and uh, rescinded it um, within about eight months. So uh, they they were able to they were able to um, you know miss uh the, the the worst of it have 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 the worst of the criticism um but uh it, it, it was awkward and there was a certain amount of makeup work then done in the years following and people who had been obviously uh denied oscars unfairly uh were were belatedly given the award or at least they're in some cases they, they hadn't lived long enough to be uh uh, to be uh, have the reputations cleaned up, and so their wives had to collect, their widows had to collect their awards. Isn't nearly as much fun. Um, one of the things that your book has uncovered, uh, you, as you said, you've done some digging around, serious digging around. It's a significant, substantial book. Is why we call the Oscars the Oscars. What's the origins of the name, Bruce? Well, that was something I was determined to get to the bottom of, it, uh, if possible, when I set myself this job of, uh, of writing a, a book about the early history. There were three well-established stories that got trotted out every year during the, uh, award, uh, we call the award season or the Oscar season. And um, uh, it wasn't clear which of those was likely to be the true one, if any of them were. And it quickly became apparent as I started poking around that all three of those stories um, had had serious flaws in them. The, the best known one was that uh, Betty Davis, when she won her first Academy Award, stepped up to the podium, took the statuette, and turned it around and was admiring its hindquarters. And she said, well, my husband at the time, his middle name was Oscar. And so 
Oscar it has been ever since. Well, that's a fun story, but in fact, we can find the, the name used in print two or three years before she got that first Oscar. And later in her career, uh, in a book, she conceded kind of grumpily that, uh, okay, okay, it was just a story. Uh, someone else can have all the credit for naming the Oscar. And uh, one of my predecessors as um, executive, uh, the job was called executive secretary in her day, uh, was Margaret Herrick, uh, who was a great, great figure in the Academy's history. And she wanted the credit for having named the Oscar, but she too had some, some problems um, in her story of, uh, of having named it after an uncle of hers. Um, he was supposed to be a Texas wheat farmer, and no one I know looks at the new, well-muscled frame of Oscar and says, well, that looks like a Texas wheat farmer. So she had problems with that, and then there was a, a, a gossip columnist at, at the time uh, who also uh, used to claim that he had made it up in a panic one night. He was, he was after a, an awards ceremony and he was sending his copy back to his New York paper uh, through Western Union and he couldn't remember the word statuette and he couldn't spell the word statuette and finally he said uh, this is silly they're they're being uh, snooty giving this thing such a name I'm just going to give it a dismissive name and so he said he, he decided to call it the Oscar and uh, he too has a chronological problem with his story in that um, uh, there are there are uh, examples of, of the word cropping up in print uh, before the night which he had the in, when he had the inspiration for this. It, it tends to be a very uh, illustrious event, attracting the rich and famous. Bruce, uh, one man who used to show up regularly was Harvey Weinstein. I don't suppose he'll ever be invited again, and even if he was, he wouldn't be able to go because he'll be in jail. Um, do you think the Me Too movement had a particularly problematic impact on the Oscars and on the ceremony? I, I don't believe that. Um, you know, lots of people in the industry have been uh, besmirched by these kinds of stories, uh, and it hasn't done anything for their careers, and it certainly hasn't made it more likely that they will be uh, asked to pre uh, present during the ceremony. The, whether, whether it will have an effect on, on their ability to get nominated again later in their career, I guess, remains to be seen. Um, if, if it was somebody that really got, really got um, beaten up badly and everybody thinks they did uh, clearly Behave, behave badly toward women or underlings or anything else. Their, their uh, academy chances have, have dimmed considerably. We did a show recently with the novelist uh, Edward Delaney. He has a wonderful new book out on Cary Grant called The Acrobat. It's a novel about Grant's life. Grant, of course, starred in North by Northwest, one of Hitchcock's two or three greatest movies. My favorite film, a film I even wrote a book about, Vertigo, 1958, is universally considered one of the two or three greatest movies ever made. And yet Hitchcock never won a, an Oscar. It's not the only story, but it seems to capture the absurdity of these 
awards. The, the best films generally don't win. Is, is that fair? Oh, no. <laughs> the best films generally don't win? I, I, I would think you could say everybody has a favorite film or two that they think should have won, and that's one thing. Uh, we should probably also make a distinction in terms of Hitchcock. He did receive an Oscar. It was the, of the honorary variety rather than what we call the competitive variety. Um, but it's a, you started out with Cary Grant, and, and uh, he too is often uh, cited as someone who clearly should have won an Oscar and, and never won a competitive one, though he too um, got an honorary one. But that's a, that's a funny game to play. You have to go back and, and look at what you think Grant's five or six or seven best performances were, and then what else was up that year? What other actors would have been competing against him? And um, it's, it's, you notice, you, you, you begin to realize how hard it is to pick one best person doing something. And Grant, who I think everybody agrees, was just absolutely terrific at, at, at what he did, um, kind of, kind of excelled at, at a kind at a kind of character that people think, well, that's easy. That he's funny and he's uh, gorgeous looking, um, but that's not really acting. Um, but he he was he was absolutely masterful at what he did do. And uh, a couple of times he tried a more serious part. Um, he didn't get embraced there either, although I think he was nominated. So, you know, it, it's, um, it's tough. But, but to say the Academy invariably overlooks the people who do the best work is uh, a bridge too far. The World Cup's going on right now. Uh, the New York, uh, the Soccer Football World Cup, the New York Times said the World Cup that changed everything. It's the World Cup in Qatar has sort of seems to have triggered a crisis about what the World Cup is all about. It's very much the World Cup, a 20th century universal event, rather like the Oscars uh, and lots of talk about what the World Cup will look like in the 21st century. Where do you see the Oscars going in the 21st century? Can you see some innovations? Can it survive? Can it survive in the age of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook? Uh, that's a question that I, I'm almost as interested in as you are. It's, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's hard to predict. And in the epilogue in my book, I, I talk about that. Um, and, and the phenomenon that hasn't been widely noticed of the steady divergence between the top box, box office recipients of a given year and the number of Best Picture nominations. Um, the Academy has been doing its job, picking out what it thinks is the best work of a given year. But more and more, they're deciding that the best work was done in very small films, sometimes films that people call difficult, films that uh, don't even get shown in a lot of mid-sized cities in the U.S. Uh, so it's hard for people even to understand what the title means, what it refers to. Uh, if that trend continues, if, if there's a huge gap between the, the explosion movies that make the uh, biggest splash at the box office and the movies that the Academy is saying, well, these, these are the 10 best of this year, 
then it shouldn't surprise anybody that the the um, the audience for the award show diminishes, maybe continues to diminish. Uh, we have to see what's going to happen to movies themselves. The, the Academy concentrates on the theatrical motion picture. If the theatrical motion picture goes away, I think the Academy probably goes away eventually. Um, there's an awful lot of ways, as you say, to watch uh, motion pictures, moving pictures these days from on your phone to um, all different kinds of ways. And do people still have the energy, the enthusiasm for uh, getting up and going out to a, to a movie and seeing it at a particular time and, and paying for it at the box office? If, if that continues to happen, then, then the Oscars have a reason to continue to exist. Bruce, I put my cards on the table uh, with Hitchcock's Vertigo, my favorite movie of all time. Um, what about for you? If you could only watch one movie forever, what would it be? Oh, this is going to sound snobbish. Um, well, I want you to sound snob. I'm the ultimate snob, and this is the show for snobs watched by snobs, so don't be shy. <laughs> I, I am a great lover of Fellini's Eight and a Half. I, I, oh, I great call, Bruce. That's, that's, but it couldn't, it's, it's, it's not in English, so... Well, I don't hold that against it. No, it's it's a beautiful movie. I mean, it's just gorgeously shot. The the characters are continually surprising. The score is just remarkable. Um, it, it's a perfect movie. Uh, so I have lots of others in my back pocket, but but, it, but you pin me down to one, and I think that's where I'd have to go. <laughs> 